News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. Let's talk now about the Pope's visit to Canada, which is underway right now. Pope Francis is expected to speak publicly, and this will be the first time on this Canadian visit that he does that. That is expected to happen this morning. He will be meeting with First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples, and this is south of Edmonton. And all of this, of course, will culminate in a trip to a former residential school. And, you know, if you want to see that, obviously, it's going to be very compelling. You can check it out on globalnews.ca as well. But what about people from across the country who want to see this as it is happening? Well, there are opportunities for do that, to do that, actually. The Indian Residential School Survivors Society is planning events for that to happen. Uh, to talk more about that and the visit, we're joined now by Rachel Ann Snow, who's an Indigenous legal advocate. Uh, Rachel Ann, thank you so much for being back with us. Uh, good morning, Simi. What do you think of the visit so far? Well, I think, again, uh, Pope Francis coming into Canada, it's very much a, a scheduled itinerary, and there's obviously, you know me, obviously I'm looking at the big picture and what is what is really happening behind the words. And what do you mean by that? What do you think is really happening behind the words? Well, I see that, you know, Pope Francis is not going to uh, Kamloops, and to me that's kind of a flag because that's the latest scene of the crime. The other thing is he's making sure that he is going to see three different indigenous groups um, that uh, Trudeau has put, basically he's, he's, he's pan-indigenized us into one group, so he separated them for this trip. But all along, um, the First Nation people were not consulted again on how this would roll out. It's very much a top-down from Canada and the Vatican uh, planned trips. So I don't see, again, how there can be reconciliation when only one side is, is in on the planning or doing anything. And, and let's talk about the apology that's expected to come today. Like, it feels like there is so much riding on this. Can it possibly be enough at this point? Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm looking at the big picture and the division of uh, the actual act of the Pope coming to three different places. If there is an apology and some funds that roll out, I suspect that it will be a project or uh, based on uh, uh, people applying, which may go to significantly one Indigenous group who will take the money and and then uh, Trudeau will wash his hands and say, we dealt with it, there was an apology, there was some money put out, we're done. And I know that you've been, you know, skeptical of this all along, thinking that this was going to be the be-all, end-all, Rachel. But do you feel, is that a message that is being heard, do you think, by other groups as well? Well, I think uh, even the National Chief said, you know, First Nations were not consulted. Uh, they have not been told. They're throughout Indian country. Uh, people are unsure if they are a residential school survivor and they do want to attend uh, one of the events. They're unsure as to how to take that up, even though they've heard there's money set aside and they should be able to attend. But my my comment is this, like, if Pope Francis really was looking at truth and reconciliation, why isn't he going into a First Nation community and taking part in, like, a smudge or something that is specific to us? He's coming here and basically still... 
uh, doing, you know, church-like things, having masses, uh, is it just another, is this the, the excuse that he's seeing the indigenous people, meanwhile, uh, solidifying the Roman Catholic Church place in Canada, when instead he, he could be, you know, really on First Nation land and partaking in their specific spiritual uh, exercises to show, you know, his remorse and also to understand that what we have been saying all along, we are specific in our own ways. Right. What are you hearing from other people in the community as well about this trip? Because it feels like there was so much hope on this trip, right? And now it's here. Um, I'm hearing both things. For the people who are, we do have our own Indigenous people who are Roman Catholic. We do have our own Indigenous people who are, uh, you know, with other some some other secular church. But, uh, uh, and we also have our traditional people. And there's also a lot of people who, for who this is very triggering. Uh, uh, that's where I'm more concerned is that, again, to get everybody's hopes up and then dash them. Um, it it sends that whole spin of trauma and intergenerational angst happening and re-happening. And that isn't good for our people. It's, it's breaking us and um, causing more harm without, you know, again, if there was, this was truly reconciliation, our grassroots people would have been involved. There are very clear instructions nationally on how to get there. And uh, not this, you know, last minute, people are getting a, information, trying to get to Edmonton or up there by themselves without um, sort of mental health supports, uh, flailing about in Edmonton waiting and some of them re-traumatized as they're waiting. Will you watch any part of this? Oh, yes, I'm going to watch uh, because I have a suspicion, like I said, that if there is an apology, it's been prearranged. If there is something that's going to be rolled out, such as uh, compensation dollars, that it will be primarily probably based on uh, the First Nation groups or the Indigenous groups, the First Nation, the Métis, and the Inuit, um, somehow accessing that money uh, based on, like, uh, you know, first first. First come, first takes all, I think that, and then uh, the Pope can finally wring his hands and say, we've done with it, and that still will not be what was, you know, what has to be done in order to mitigate the harms, the electric chair, the uh, nutrition experiments, as well as the um, sterilization of Indigenous women, and the explanation for uh, possible bodies found besides... um, possible bodies or children found besides old Indian residential schools. I don't think um, you can cover that off in a packed agenda in six days. Have we made any progress at all, do you think, over the past year? Since it feel, you know, this discussion did get ramped up and has been much more intense, much more widespread in the past year, but have we made any real progress, do you think? No, because you can't make progress until reconciliation, like I'm saying, is exactly... If it is uh, give and take, then where's the uh, where's the give from uh, the Pope? Being here is supposed to be his give, but partaking in actual sort of um, sit downs or going into the actual community and taking part in a smudge and taking part in a spiritual ceremony that we set would actually show that he was understanding and open to our spiritual influence. 
that isn't happening. He's coming, he's doing masses. And in the communities going to here in Hobima or Muscatchee, south of Edmonton, they paved some roads and they, they fancied it up. They made it look better for the Pope to come in. And they should have left it alone with the gravel roads and the disparity and the, the poverty that exists because that's the true picture of what is happening to Indigenous First Nation people in Canada. Rachel Ann, thanks for your time again on this. We appreciate that. Okay, you're welcome. Like Have a good day, Simi. You too. That's Rachel Ann Snow, an Indigenous legal advocate, talking about the Pope's visit to Canada. Today is expected to be pretty significant during that visit. He is scheduled to go to the former site of a residential school in the Alberta, or right around the Edmonton area there. And it is expected at that point that he will issue an apology to Indigenous residential school survivors. And that would be uh, momentous on Canadian soil. But as Rachel Ann points out there, there's still so much work to do. So what about people who wanted to be there? What if they are a residential school survivor and they wanted to be there? There are ways to do that. There's the Indian Residential School Survivor Society. They feel it's important, they said, to provide some space for families and, and survivors to gather for a viewing of this. So the gym at Britannia Community Centre in Vancouver has been purposed for that. They have a live stream of the events of what's going on with the Pope and the schedule. And we should also mention here that the Indian Residential Schools Crisis Line is available 24 hours a day for anyone experiencing pain or distress as a result of the residential school experience. That number, 1-800-721-0066. This is Mornings with Simi. We are keeping a close eye on the situation that is unfolding in Langley this morning. You undoubtedly got a message on your cell phone about that through the emergency management system. We will have any updates for you as soon as they become available, but keep it tuned in right here for the very latest. We're also talking about the heat wave that is expected to arrive as early as tomorrow, hitting the lower mainland this week with temperatures potentially getting into the mid-30s, particularly if you are away from the water. Now, we have options, a lot of us do, on how we can stay cool, mainly in our homes. But the reality is there are a lot of people out there who don't have those same resources. So what about people who are on the streets? What about people who are homeless? How are they going to deal with this situation? Well, joining us now to talk about this is Sarah Blythe, advocate for the downtown east side and executive director for the Overdale's Prevention Society. Sarah, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. And I know you've been talking about it already over the past week, but how has the heat been impacting people that you have been seeing? Well, even when it's, you know, in in the mid-20s or uh, early 20s, it's it's basically way too hot because Hastings um, does not have a lot of trees, so, or even cover, so people are just right out in the, the sun. And it's just really hot, and there's a lot of dogs on the street, and and even pigeons, and and just you know all kinds of folks. So um, it's really tough. How have you been? How have people been trying to help? Is there anything that can be done at this point? What do you need? So we we have water, and we've been giving it out and just bringing it around to folks in in the, some of the tents and to the market and, and some folks in the neighborhood. And, and there are some initiatives to get water to people and cooling devices to people in, in the building. But um, really, we need freezies and water and, uh, and, and even folks just standing there giving it out if they can. 
um, just to make sure that people stay hydrated. Um, even focus on some of the pets, making sure that pets are, you know, have cover and that they are, um, you know, they're able to get some cool water and, and cool down one way or another, get off the pavement. Have so. we learned any lessons, Sarah, from, you know, the heat last year and how devastating that was? Have we implemented anything that would help for this year? Yeah. So, I mean, we are working with BC Housing in the city. Um, they have uh, put aside quite a bit of water for us and um, and really, you know, will deliver more on the go. So it's just manpower, really. It's manpower getting getting people feet on the ground, walking around, making sure people are safe and okay. And and uh, we've already seen some heat stroke even when it wasn't that hot. So I'm really expecting a hot day today and that people are going to really be de- in desperate need of help. But getting things like freezies, th- those are the things that we don't have. Frozen cloths, um, a volunteer brought last time. So that was really nice for people. So there's some things that we don't have um, and that would be, you know, helpful. Uh, just anything that you can think of to keep people cool. Um, we'll be doing our best. Uh, the Overdose Prevention Society has a person walking around with water um, throughout uh, the days. So just making sure people have water. But uh, freezies would be good. Any any kind of help, people on the street helping in, in any way they can, you know, even for an hour, just getting people something to, to drink, making sure that people are drinking and um Right. Are, yeah. are you worried about later this week when the temperatures are expected to get even higher? Oh, yeah. I mean, especially, you know, people say, well, why is there a lot of people on the street? Well, partially it's because it's so hot in some of the older SROs, the buildings just start baking and there's no air conditioning or, you know, a fan isn't even helpful. So people come out into the street and it's still hot out there. It's just, it's going to be in a, and it's hot all night long. So it's a pretty unbearable time right now, especially in the downtown east side. And uh, for homeless people who can't escape the heat in any way, um, there's nowhere for them to go uh, to cool down. And it's, are, so it's, are governments helping at all, Sarah? Like are municipal governments, provincial governments, anybody stepping in? Yeah, there, there are some cooling centres. And um, the, the, there's a cooling centre at the Carnegie. Um, but, you know, not, not everybody can go there and... Um, you know, not everyone can make it. So, um, you know, there there is some help, but um, it's it's you know never enough. I think it's on hot days like this, just because you know people are out in the elements and uh, they're living out in the elements. It's just it's hard to really explain. But yeah. people are suffering heat stroke, and uh, just make you know people are dealing with other. Uh, day to eight day issues so it's just uh you know people are ending up in in right. very serious conditions so what can we once again let us know like where what is the website is where we can go if we want to drop something yeah. off to help well you can drop some stuff off at anything that you can think of that would be helpful uh, whether it be freezies or you know even additional water or even volunteer time we're at 141 east hastings um, you can come on down there and uh, you, you can even text me at 778-952-2015. I know it's crazy to put my phone number on the, the radio right. here, but <laughs> it works. It works. But, but it does work. And, you know, people can um, give me, you know, text me and if they've got any ideas, there's sometimes we haven't thought of everything to help people. 
I mean, it's just, uh, thankfully, most of us get to, you know, be in air condition or we can get out of the sun in one way or another, but really people are out hot and it's a lot of, there's a lot of seniors that are, that live in the downtown east side that are really struggling to get out of their apartments and, um, you know, when they do, they're too hot outside. It's, they're very at risk. Yeah. There's a lot of very at risk people with, um, you know, other health concerns and, so it, you know, I'm sure people will unfortunately die due to the heat. And so what we're trying to do is uh, just make it uh, so that that doesn't happen to the best of our ability and people can help. So if we can do anything more for you, Sarah, this week, just let us know. Okay. Okay. Take care. Thank, Thank you. you. That's Bye. Sarah Blythe, who is an advocate for the downtown Eastside, executive director for the Overdose Prevention Society. They have been working very hard over the past week in particular, just to help people deal uh, with the heat. And this week, of course, with temperatures expected to rise even higher, there is a concern about how people are going to cope. So yes, you can contact her, uh, contact the Overdose Prevention Society if you would like to donate water or anything that you think might be able to help. This is Mornings with Simi. Out here about the developing situation in Langley. Yes, we are keeping an eye on that for you. And just a reminder from Langley RCMP too, they're asking people to avoid Langley City's downtown core, particularly in the area of 200, the Langley Bypass, and in Langley Township too. They're, you're being asked to essentially stay out of those areas until further notice. This is because of the ongoing uh, police situation that is unfolding there. We're still waiting for some more details on that and we will have them for you. Uh, Right now, let's talk about another big health concern out there. Over the weekend, the World Health Organization declared the monkeypox virus a global health emergency. That is pretty much the loudest alarm bell they can sound. So we wanted to break it down. What do you need to know about this? Joining us now is Dr. Brian Conway, Medical Director of the Vancouver Infectious Diseases Centre. Good morning, Dr. Conway. Good morning, Simi. I think this is the first time we've talked to you about something other than COVID-19. Well, it is a virus, so there is some link. Um, But you're right, the uh, World Health Organization has sounded alarm bells that we need to heed. Okay, why is it? Why are there so many concerns about this virus? Because it has spread to so many countries, probably a few more than 70 There is a growing number of cases. It is certainly not of the magnitude of the COVID pandemic, about 16,000 or so cases worldwide, between six and 700 here in Canada. But it is growing and we need to pay attention. And what is the monkeypox virus? It is a virus that is normally circulating in Africa. It infects monkeys. It transmits to some extent to humans, usually in that region due to hunting of primates and other contacts that can occur between humans and primates. It causes a skin rash, starts on the face, can spread throughout the body, usually is an illness that goes away without any significant consequences. People can be hospitalized. A few people can die of monkeypox, especially in the regions where it is endemic in Africa. For some reason, it has spread out of Africa, probably due to travel, and they're linking it to certain social events. And from there, it has spread to many other countries. So that's, that's what we're seeing. And how did that happen? Like, is this the first time that we've seen that kind of spread with this particular virus? 
In the early 2000s, due to travel, there was spread to the Midwestern United States, but it never went beyond a few states, a few hundred cases. A couple of people were hospitalized. No one died, and it just went away. That was the last emergence outside of Africa. So what's of concern here is it seems to be spreading to more countries over time. And the World Health Organization is wanting us to pay attention to try and figure out how it is spreading and to not have another uh, pandemic on our hands. And I think that, uh, that that's why we're seeing the announcements we're seeing right now. So are there not vaccines to deal with this? Like there have been always, right? Right. So people who are a little bit older, and I'm not going to get into the definition of older versus younger here, who had the smallpox shot as children, that produces some uh, cross-protection against monkeypox. There is a vaccine out there. One thing that is notable about the spread of monkeypox right now is that 99% of cases are in men and 98% are in men who have sex with men. So we're going to need to be careful here. This is, this is a, a, a public health issue. Let's not stigmatize a population that seems to be accounting for the majority of the transmission. Let's stick to the issue that it is a health issue, identify the cases. Here in British Columbia, the vaccine is being made available to uh, men who have sex with men who meet certain criteria of having had a sexual infection, having had uh, multiple partners or or, uh, attended certain types of, uh, of institutions, let's say, such as uh, co- where congregate uh, sexual activity can occur. But, but really, I want to think of that as th- these are health issues and we're trying to, to help a population that is uh, being affected by, uh, by monkeypox here in British Columbia. So how does somebody decide if they need a, a booster or not or if they need to get this, this particular vaccine? Well, right now it's being made available to men who have sex with men who meet the criteria that I just uh, described. We're not seeing any spread in British Columbia outside of that population. Of course, monkeypox looks a little bit like chickenpox, looks a little bit like certain other illnesses that causes rashes uh, of uh, that are uh, sort of vesicular, that are little blisters. And I think that if anyone has any symptoms of that type, they should consult a physician and see our healthcare provider and see if uh, monkeypox is a, is, is a possibility. So right now, it is being very um, cognizant of the fact that it's around, bringing it to the attention of healthcare providers as soon as we, uh, as soon as an individual can, and for those who are members of the population where vaccine is available, it is available uh, quite easily in British Columbia, and they should uh, consider getting it. Okay, so for now, then people can, I guess, we'll also talk to their doctor about it. I would imagine if they have questions about this because they're hearing so much about it in the news. Right. But again, I uh, will uh, reiterate the fact that 99% in men, 98% in men who have sex with men uh, has not spread outside of that population in British Columbia. It is a worldwide concern, as you pointed out at the top of this piece, uh, based on uh, announcements by the World Health Organization. And uh, let's, uh, let's see where, where this goes. But uh, it, uh, let's pay attention. Let's pay attention. Good advice. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Dr. Brian Conway is a medical director at the Vancouver Infectious Diseases Centre talking about the World Health Organization on the weekend talking about monkeypox as a public health emergency of international concern uh, and that he is explaining to us why that is. 
This is Mornings with Simi. Well, passport lineups have been a nightmare for people for the last few months now. Trying to get a passport renewed or a new one has just meant that people are stressing out about this. People have had to cancel travel plans. It's just been a mess and people have been demanding that the federal government do more to help people get their passport. Well, sounds like there could be another option for you out there. Joining us now is Karina Gould, the MP for Burlington and the Minister of Families, Children and Social Development, also responsible for Passports and Service Canada. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Now, I know you have something to tell people in BC. So what is it? Yeah, so some some good news um, in the Lower Mainland in that uh, the Richmond Passport Office uh, now will also do passport pickups. So Previously, it was just a, um, an office where you could do the application, but you would have to travel to Surrey or to Vancouver to pick up your passport. And as of today, they have printing capacity and pickup. So that um, should help alleviate some of the pressure in the other offices in the Lower Mainland. So does that mean that you can now go there to get your passport? Like you can line up there and expect to put your application in and get it there? That's right, yeah. Okay, how much do you think that will help the situation? Well, I think it will help a lot because, I mean, Richmond is one of the less busy offices. Um, Surrey is really the the busiest one. Um, But what it will help is that um, instead of people going to Richmond, making the application, and then saying, okay, you've made it, but now you got to go to either Vancouver or Surrey to pick it up, um, they won't be having that additional wave of people going to Vancouver or Surrey to pick up passports. So it will alleviate the pressure in those two offices because they can focus their printing capacity on the residents in those areas and move some of that traffic um, to Richmond. So it should help. We've seen big improvements in the lower mainland over the last um, month. I was actually um, in BC at the Richmond office and at the Surrey office a couple weeks ago and saw, you know, how um, how much better the triage system is for people who are there. There's no need to camp out. There's no need to get there super early. You're going to be seen and you're going to be spoken to um, and you're going to get your service either that day or if your travel is later, you're going to get an appointment to come back. Um, but I think it's I think it's going to be a really welcome um, change, both for residents in Richmond, but also for the other two passport offices who can move some of that traffic back to Richmond. Right, because obviously that was a pretty difficult situation, seeing all those lineups and the chaos and people being very upset by this. What lessons have been learned during this? Is this going to permanently change the whole passport system? Can we make it more efficient and better for people? Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. I mean, what we saw um, about a month ago was totally unacceptable. um, And we need to make it better. And I think the triaging is here to stay. Um, That's not something that's going to to go away so that we can serve people effectively um, in the lineups. Um, And then also just managing the lineups better. I mean, one of the things that I think people were rightly frustrated by is that they were there and all they wanted to do was talk to someone and just having someone who comes out, listens, understands what their situation is, and then directs them in the best way possible to get the service that they need um, has been a huge relief for people. I mean, when I was talking to people in line outside the Richmond office, that was one of the things that they said to me was just so much more of a relief to have an actual person to talk to who could explain um, what the situation was and how they could get their service. 
The other thing um, that we've learned is that we need to modernize the passport application system. Um, you know, it, 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 it wasn't broken. It just got overwhelmed. But through that, we could see where the cracks are and how we can actually just make it better. So we currently can't apply online for a renewal for a passport, but that's something that we're working on and hopefully we'll be able to do starting in the fall. Um, is for those people who are just looking for a simple renewal, we can actually do that much faster. Um, and so there's lots of things that we've learned throughout this. We're going to be launching soon um, a system that will notify people as to where their passports are in the system because one of the other frustrations is if once you've sent it in, you don't really know where it is. Yeah. So our, our call centers are overwhelmed by people just asking for status updates. Well, we need to make a way for people to actually get an update without having to go into the system. So that's another thing that we're working on. So there's so many improvements um, that will bring the passport system into the 21st century that are needed that just weren't there before. Well, I think you nailed it there when you said bring it into the 21st century, because is that really what got exposed here in this process is the people still lining up and staff not even having a way to cope with people lining up? I mean, we were stuck in another century, weren't we? Yeah, totally. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that, um, you know, staff have been working so hard um, and they've been doing everything they can to serve people. Um, but, you know, they were they were overwhelmed by the volume and they didn't necessarily have the tools uh, to to help people. Right. And so giving staff those tools has not only helped citizens who you know are looking for those services, but it's also been a relief for staff knowing that they can now help people in a way that they couldn't before. So it's, it's exposed where we can absolutely do better. And that's what we're working on because ultimately we don't want this to happen again. And we want people to have a positive experience when they're getting their passport. Okay. So the Richmond office is open as of today. Well, the Richmond office has been open um, the whole time. It's just before you could only apply for your passport there. Now you can actually pick it up. They can actually print it there. Um, And so now when people go to apply, they're not going to have to travel somewhere else to go pick it up. Right. Okay. So that's a big change for people. These other changes that you talked about, which all, you know, I think are very promising. How soon can those come online? Renewing your passport online, knowing where your documents are in the system. Yeah, so the second one, the knowing where your documents are in the system, that's, you know, probably a matter of days, maybe a week, then um, we'll be able to do that. Um, The online application is going to take a bit more time because we have to um, build a whole new IT system around it. Um, But that hopefully we'll be able to do that in the fall. All right, sounds good. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning and for that update. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you.